Hi everyone, Dan Cassidy here. Welcome back to Top of the Morning on the UBS Market Moves podcast channel. Joining us to continue on with our monthly conversation on the emerging markets. Glad to welcome back Alejo Zarago, Chief Investment Officer for Emerging Markets Americas with the UBS Chief Investment Office. Alejo, as always, great to be with you. Thank you for dropping by. Looking forward to picking back up with our conversation. Good morning, Dan. Thank you for having me. So, Alejo, you're joining us today to talk about the latest investing in emerging markets flagship publication, a monthly publication. Latest edition was authored yesterday, Wednesday, August 31st. The title snapped back to reality, which I thought was interesting. So, Alejo, here at the start, can you provide a bit more color behind the choice of the title? Absolutely, Dan. Let me bring our listeners up to speed. For roughly two months between mid-June and mid-August, I think investors enjoyed a much improved market environment. If you look at performance, global equities recovered more than 10%, credit spreads tightened quite a bit, and core interest rates traded roughly sideways. Now, the Jackson Hole Conference in late August has indeed snapped markets back to reality since it was Jerome Powell's speech, uh, a brief, clear, and pragmatic, me- pragmatic message embedded in it, that the Fed must keep at it until the job is done, implying that a lengthy period of restricted monetary policy is likely ahead of us so as for the Fed to be able to control inflation in the U.S. Powell's comments, I think, drew quite heavily on the lessons from modern financial history. After all, during times of elevated inflation, the Fed funds rate has generally had to rise above the rate of consumer prices so as to cool down uh, inflationary dynamics. In emerging markets, monetary policy history presents a similar conclusion. Many central banks began to implement inflation targeting regimes, in other words, they began to use the interest rate as the main monetary policy instrument in the late 1990s when inflation was very high. These central banks only managed to bring inflation under control after years of keeping inflation-adjusted interest rates well above zero and also above estimates of quote-unquote neutral, that is a rate that is neither stimulative or nor restrictive of economic activity. Now, even following Powell's wake-up call, I think bond and equity market indicators are painting a fairly benign forward-looking outlook. When you look at what's priced in, it is the expectation of U.S. inflation moderating to around 3% by the second half of next year. It is corporate earnings continuing to grow in coming quarters without interruption, and it is All of this happening in the context of the Fed only hiking to rates below 4% by mid-2023 and even cutting interest rates later next year. Therefore, once again, markets continue to price in a fairly benign macroeconomic outlook. We believe that what will transpire will likely be more challenging than what markets assume, and that's why we maintain an overall defensive quality and income bias global portfolios. So Alejo, accounting for the monetary policy environment here in the U.S., as you pointed out last Friday, Chairman Powell quite clear about the direction of the Fed on an ongoing basis, and we do have the upcoming September Fed meeting to look forward to. What does an environment of higher U.S. interest rates for longer mean for the emerging markets, Alejo? This will be a testing environment for emerging markets indeed. 
when you look at recent decades, periods of stress in emerging market assets were often preceded by a sharp tightening of global liquidity conditions. Now, at the same time, I think emerging markets are much better prepared today than they were in, in years past for a number of reasons. Number one, when you look at their overall current account positions, which is a good measure of whether a country is living within or beyond its means, uh, current compositions in emerging markets are by and large in balance, uh, which means not a lot of external financing on aggregate is needed to uh, emerging markets need to attract at the moment. Number two, I think emerging markets have learned to rely a lot less on external debt in recent years, particularly relative to the stock of external assets, assets they hold, such as international reserves. And third and last, Emerging market central banks, we discussed this then before in prior episodes, they're behaving very responsibly and very proactively compared to the Fed. Many emerging market central banks have hiked interest rates um, early in 2021 and are way ahead of the Fed in terms of their monetary policy normalization cycle. So I'd say most countries in the emerging world are up for the challenge. Some, of course, deserve close monitoring. In our analysis, countries such as Colombia, Chile, South Africa, and to a lesser extent, the Philippines and Thailand exhibit some vulnerabilities to this changing environment. So, Alejo, the question becomes from an investor's standpoint, given the context you've laid out for us, how should we think about investing in the emerging markets right now? Look, Dan, we're not pounding the table on emerging market assets at large at the moment, but we do find select opportunities from within. Starting with equities, we we prefer high-quality earnings growth leaders, such as those that can be found in the internet and e-commerce segments. In addition, environmental, social, and governance leaders should also continue to serve portfolios well through risk mitigation. Important to note, we no longer expect Chinese equities to outperform peers in coming months, at least until the 20th Party Congress, the most important political event in China in the last decade. Uh, there have been some initial steps, positive initial steps, towards a resolution to the U.S.-China ADR, American Depository Receipt Saga. Other than that, we see a lack of near-term positive catalyst for Chinese equities. If you think about COVID policy, this is unlikely to change meaningfully in the coming months. The property market is likely to continue to weaken, and geopolitical risks remain high. Over a longer investment horizon, however, we believe current valuations for Chinese stocks are attractive. And in addition, their relatively low correlation to European, Japanese, and U.S. equities also makes Chinese stocks a valuable diversifier in global portfolios. Finally, moving on to the fixed income space, then. We think short-duration bonds in emerging markets lie in a quote-unquote sweet spot in the current environment of high inflation, rising U.S. Treasury yields, and global growth concerns. Latin American corporate bonds remain an area of quite attractive, issuer-specific opportunities, 
And we also see value in oil and gas bonds, even our positive view on global energy prices. Well, Alejo, thank you as always for dropping by top of the morning to keep our listeners, our clients informed on your current thinking with respect to the emerging markets. Very timely coming off of Jackson Hole. And it will be interesting to see how the environment plays out in the months ahead, though. Alejo, looking forward to picking back up with our conversation on the emerging markets next month. Anytime. Hope that was helpful. And I look forward to speaking with you again soon. Thank you, Alejo. Always a pleasure. Appreciate it. And again, Alejo has been joining us to talk about the latest investing in emerging markets flagship publication from the team. Again, that title snapped back to reality, which is now available up on UBS.com forward slash CIO. For clients of UBS, of course, please contact your financial advisor if you would like to receive a copy of the Investing in Emerging Markets publication directly. We've been joined today by Alejo Zerwanko, Chief Investment Officer for the Emerging Markets Americas with the UBS Chief Investment office. From UBS Studios, I'm Dan Cassidy. Thank you for joining us. UBS Chief Investment Office's investment views are prepared and published by the Global Wealth Management Business of UBS AG or its affiliate, UBS. This material has no regard to the specific investment objectives, financial situation, or particular needs of any specific recipient and is published for informational purposes only. As a firm providing wealth management services to clients globally, UBS AG and its subsidiaries offer both investment advisory services and brokerage services. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways, and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements. In the USA, UBS Financial Services, Inc. is a subsidiary of UBS AG and a member of FINRA SIPC. For information, please visit our website at UBS.com forward slash working with us. For a full legal disclaimer applicable to the independent investment views produced by UBS, please visit our website at ubs.com forward slash CIO disclaimer.